all the people that told me they were going to be gone this morning, I thought it would really be a disaster, but I don't know where, you know, we wouldn't have room to put them all back in here. So thanks for being here and uh, glad you're here. Um, I heard a pastor make a comment on TV the other day that he wished the people of his church would bring their Bibles. And I am just uh, thrilled to death that I don't have a church like that. You bring your Bibles, you have a copy of the Word of God with you. I think it's important to have uh, the Word of God in front of you. You can make notes, you can underline things, and remember it when you see it. So thanks for doing that. Uh, Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at 16 through 21. Matthew 6, 16 through 21. But let me start with an introduction to that, okay? Uh, What if I were to say, hey, right now, just something like this, hey, everybody, I'm doing something really spiritual over here. Would everybody please look and notice what I'm doing? Notice how godly and spiritual that I am. Now, before we go much further than that, uh, we're going to do a little more of that, but I just want to remind you of what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew uh, chapter 23 and verse 5. And by the way, uh, Matthew 23, he rips to shreds the religious leaders of his day because of their hypocrisy and because of the fact that they say they believe God, but they don't act like they believe God. They're more about themselves than they are anybody else. And so he says to them in Matthew 23, 5, but they, speaking of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Levites, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries, that's the little leather boxes that they would tie on their forehead and on their hand, and they would put little pieces of Hebrew scripture in it, and also lengthen the tassels of their garments was an, that was an indication of just how much they pray. So lots of tassels, oh, I must be a prayer warrior. Lots of little boxes on my head, maybe they're getting bigger and bigger and on my hands that just say I'm really all about the word of God. And Jesus is ripping them to shreds because at the end of the day, they're nothing more than hypocrites that do things only to be seen by men. Well, let's go on with what I was talking about. Maybe you didn't notice how holy I am. Perhaps I should maybe wear a bigger cross than I do. Maybe I should pray longer than anyone else in whatever situation I'm in. Maybe I should share my great insights into the text at the marvel of all the people in the Bible study. Have I ever caught myself trying to draw attention to my spirituality? Is that something that's kind of snuck in once in a while? Somebody gives you a chance to pray and you want to impress people with your spirituality or read the Bible, impress them that way. Uh, There's lots of ways that we can do that. Or it could be like putting a big tithe check on top of the uh, position there in the offering plate, which uh, maybe you remember how that was. We used to hand that up and down the aisles like that and somebody could put a big check on top and say, whoa, wow, that's that's a lot of money. Uh, Maybe I'm more knowledgeable on uh, church missionaries than anybody else. Or I work more in ministries than the average believer in the church does, so I'm always working. Or I give more money than anyone else in the church gives. Or I am better than others at recognizing and pointing out the sins of other saints. Uh, What we learn today is that God in heaven is not impressed with those who flaunt their spirituality to be recognized by other people. Work to impress people, the Bible teaches, and you will get a temporary reward that is of little or no value. But if you work to impress God, and I mean that in a good way, not a proud way, but if you work to impress God, 
and you get an eternal reward that never loses value, how much more valuable is that? Wouldn't it be meaningful if God said of us to Satan when Satan stands before him and Satan says something like, uh, so-and-so isn't who you think it is, and yet God would say, however, have you considered my servant, and then you put your name in there. Would God in heaven, what would that be like for him to pick you out when he's having arguments with Satan about what's going on on earth and what he's doing and what God's doing? Uh, God would say, hey, have you considered my servant? And then you put your name in there. Because God sees you as somebody who is living for him and doing what is right. That would be a wonderful thing. It is not a wonderful thing for God to say to you, you know what? You did that spiritual act of service to be seen and, and observed by men. That's what happened. End of reward. It's over. You get nothing else. Well, here's what it says, starting in verse 16 of Matthew 6. Jesus is still uh, talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He brings this subject up. Whenever you fast, and of course fasting is when you would uh, take some time where you want to pray about something and you're serious about something, you really want God to listen to you, and so fasting would be, I'm going to skip some meals, and in place of those meals, I'm going to be on my knees in prayer, and I'm going to spend my lunch hour in prayer instead of eating. I'm going to deprive myself of food, and that's going to cause hunger pains, of course, but I'm going to do that because I want to be serious with God. I want God to hear what I'm saying. I want God to answer my prayers. So that's what fasting is. Uh, the Jews had regular fasting times, especially the Pharisees. So Jesus says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that you, they will be, I'm sorry, so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So we have these Pharisees running around, they're fasting when they're doing it. They want everybody to know how spiritual they are. They want everybody to know, wow, this guy is fasting again. What a prayer warrior, what a spiritual guy. So while they're fasting, they say, if people are going to notice, I have to look like I've gone without stuff. I have to look like it's all about prayer. So they didn't take care of their, their uh, appearance at all. And Jesus is going to say some uh, important things about that. Verse 17. But you, in other words, in contrast to these people that are putting on a spiritual show, but you, when you fast, anoint your head, he means there with, with the oil, with the grooming things they did in those days, and wash your face. So what I'm thinking is the Pharisees then, when they're fasting, they weren't uh, keeping their hair uh, kept and uh, anointing themselves with oil, taking care of themselves, and their faces look like they've been without food, and uh, they're on this fast. Verse 18, here's why Jesus wants us to do it differently. So that, so reason or purpose, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that means openly. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, and that word is literally uh, that which consumes, where raw, raw, moth and consuming things destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about these texts. I think it would have been easy to have three different sermons on this passage, but they, they do go together. 
God says there's a way to do spiritual things. And if you do the spiritual things in the right way, God will reward you. But if you do those spiritual things in the wrong way, as a hypocrite, there's no reward in heaven for that. Maybe a reward from other people on earth, but not in heaven. So let's look at the the text together. Verses 16 through 18. And what we're going to learn there is this. For religious disciplines to be noticed by God, they must be done with a right motivation. For religious disciplines, fasting is one of those, but for religious disciplines to be noticed by God, they must be done with a right motive. So there's always a right way to do things with God, and there's a wrong way to do things with God. If I'm doing things just to be noticed by people, then that's the wrong way. If I do things for people, but I just am trying to do it so God's the only one that even knows about it, then I'm doing it the right way. So in the first part of verse 16, there's a proper way to engage in spiritual disciplines and an improper way to do them. Now, let me just say a word about this because uh, you may not be uh, with me on terms of what are spiritual disciplines, okay? So a spiritual discipline or disciplines are things like fasting, going without food, depriving yourself for a time so that you can devote yourself to prayer for an issue. And other spiritual disciplines are praying, tithing, Bible reading and Bible study, helping other people, ministering to others, encouraging others, exhorting others with the word of God, leading people with the word of God, following God, Bible memorization, charity, and of course, acts of love in Jesus' name. Those are uh, most of the uh, top spiritual disciplines that we usually think about. A spiritual discipline is what do I do in my walk with God that helps me in my relationship with God and helps me become what God wants me to be. So one could do all those things, whatever I mentioned and more, to be seen of men and gain their acclaim, and not one of them, the Bible says, would be remembered or recompensed by God in heaven. So one would have to wonder how much of a pile of good works will you end up and how many rewards will you receive after God weighs and judges your motives about why did you do these things. And that is taught to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read those uh, with you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through uh, 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. Okay. Paul just got through saying to the Corinthians, I have been a wise master builder. A foundation was laid, which is uh, uh, laid uh, as Jesus Christ. And every Christian that comes along, man or woman, is building on that foundation of Jesus Christ, building the household of God. And Paul is saying, be careful how you build. You can build on this foundation in a way that you get no reward for it, or you can build on this foundation in a way you you do get rewarded, or you're going to get rewarded for it. So having said that, in verse 11 he says this, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, You can't change the foundation. It's already laid. The foundation is Jesus. Everything that's built on that house should then line up with who Jesus is and what Jesus is and what he wants us to build, what he wants us to do in this life for him. So Paul says you can't mess with the foundation. So he says to the builders, you and I, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, 
wood, hay, or straw. Now we notice there, uh, those first three are all non-combustible. The last three will burn and go to ashes. So I could build with things that will be lasting or things that will be burned up. Who would burn them up? Well, God will in verse 13. Each man's work, in other words, how you built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, will become evident for the day. And he means the day of judgment will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Remember, fire is often associated in the Bible with judgment. God's going to judge the works that we did in his name. Did you do them with the right motive? Did you do the right thing? Did you do it for you or did you do it for me? And he's going to put that to the test. And all the things that end up being uh, burnable, wood, hay, straw, are going to be burned up in that judgment. They'll be revealed with fire. He'll test them and see if anything is left besides ashes. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. God knows my motive for what I did. God knows how I did it. He knows why I did it. And he's going to judge those things. But the positive part is this. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains through the fire, he will be rewarded. If any man's work is burned up through the fire, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What that means is, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to have to face this judgment for your works. Nobody escapes that. As a Christian, though, you're not judged for whether you're a Christian. If I show up in heaven and I've trusted Christ as my Savior, then I may, I may suffer loss in the works that I did because Jesus looks at them and says, that was done with the wrong motive. That was not biblical that you did. I'm not going to reward you for that. But you still get to keep your salvation. You don't lose your salvation. Once you know Christ is your Savior, no one can take that away from you. But you might find yourself, and by the way, I think there's things pointed in here to people that are religious leaders, like pastors and stuff like that. And I think what it means is there will be pastors running around heaven that got into heaven and spent their life working for the Lord and have nothing to show for it because their motive was wrong and everything got burned up and they are there so as through fire. The only thing that's left is them and they get to go to heaven. That's why Paul says, I run so as to win the race. I want to make sure I'm not fooling myself. I want to receive the reward God has waiting for me and so I don't want to do it in the wrong way. All right, let's go back to our... Matthew passage then in verse 16a. So when we fast, and we're just going to choose that one spiritual discipline because that's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, when we fast, there is a way to do it and a way not to do it. And by the way, if you are thinking about fasting for the first time in your life right now, and you're thinking maybe I should do that a few times, uh, some of us need to check with our, our medical doctor before we do that. If you're diabetic, it may not be a good uh, idea to skip a meal. Uh, so you want to check with him, is it okay, am I physically fit to do this before I do it? Well, let's say you can do it. And fasting can, can and should be a private thing. And that's one of the ways we do it. Unless uh, we go out of our way to make it public, it's going to be private. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. Now, we just had in our congregational gathering this morning, two people lead us out in prayer. It doesn't mean you can't pray in public. It doesn't mean you can't pray at your Bible study. But then what your motive is in praying and how you're praying and why you're praying, is it to impress everybody or what's the issue? God will judge that. So we must be careful. People, and by people he's talking about the Pharisees, 
were neglecting their appearance so that, the reason or purpose is, they could advertise that they're fasting. Okay, I'm going to fast in private, but people are going to see me, and they're going to know that I'm doing something spiritual. Uh, the word for neglect means to destroy something, to ruin something. Here, probably to distort their faces, okay? They're not taking care of themselves. You can see something's going on with you. You might think they're sick, uh, but there's something happening, and, and it's uh, supposed to be something spiritual. They are actually going out of their way to look bad, to look like they've been through the ringer, if you will, to look bad, uh, so that they will be noticed for what they are doing. The, the people would then go up to uh, Mr. Bob Pharisee and say, Bob, uh, you don't look very good this morning. Are you okay? And uh, we might find Bob saying, well, you know, I don't want to make it public, but uh, yeah, I'm fasting, and uh, it's been rigorous. It's been difficult, but I've been fasting. Uh, we uh, are seeing somebody there that wants to make it public, make everybody notice. Uh, we may want to notice that Jesus says that those who do such things are hypocrites. How so? Well, when you're trying to impress others with your spirituality, you are proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're not really spiritual at all. If my goal is to impress people with my spirituality, I've got the wrong goal from the very beginning, and that's not very spiritual. Our walk with God is not to be uh, uh, pretended in front of people. And it is pretending when we practice our spiritual disciplines for the purpose that we might receive the honors, recognition, and rewards of men. They handed out awards at graduation and seminary. They don't have a reward for their best prayer in seminary. They don't, they don't look at the, the student body and say, and now... For the person who prays the best, out of all the 510 students that are graduating today, here's a reward for you. They don't give out a reward for the most humble person, which would kind of go against the humility part, right? Uh, it's something that we can do that honors ourselves instead of honors God and gets recognition from men instead of from God, and those are the rewards of men. It's kind of like, holy moly, uh, was that Bob? down the aisle there who just floated that $100 bill on the top of that offering plate or that $1,000 bill, $1,000 check? Wow, he certainly is Bob the Christian. Look at, look at what he did. Well, you know what? That may be what you think about it, but what it's going to depend on is what was Bob's motivation for throwing that in there and putting it where he did or the way he did. Maybe he's completely innocent in doing it, but maybe he was looking for recognition. Jesus knows the difference. As 16 moves on here, Jesus said that when this happens, that religious persons just received their reward for what they did. He did it to receive the praise of men. Men praised him. They recognized him. End of transaction. What God means is that that transaction took place on earth. You did it to be seen of men. Men saw you. Men, men made something about it. That's over with. That doesn't affect anything in heaven at all. You did it for the wrong reason. You got what you wanted. It's over. So that man's reward is paid in full as far as God is concerned. Uh, he has received what he wanted. The word reward, and we need to get a hold of this, means remuneration for work done. That's the word that Jesus is using. All right? So you can get remunerated by people if you do it for people. 
or he can be remunerated by God, and the other way to think about that is recompense. Now, before you get too holy and say, well, I'm not out there just to get reward, well, good, I'm glad. God told you to work for your reward in heaven. There's nothing wrong with that if God told you to do it, unless you do it in the wrong way or I do it in the wrong way. Then it is wrong. But God wants to reward you. I think you need to get a hold of that. God wants to reward you for what you've done. And you and I both would like to get rewarded for what we've done, and we realize there's a catch. And that catch is that I don't want to trip myself up, and I don't want to uh, do something that takes it all away. I have to make up my mind that the praise of God is going to be something that is much greater than the praise that men can give. So when it's from God in heaven, it means something. If God doesn't give us anything for it and we receive nothing, it means we've already been paid for that, remunerated for that. Have you ever known someone who uh, gets a thank you for a ministry that they did and sometimes they say, oh great, there goes my reward. Like, you just took my reward away. Why didn't you just not say that and now I'd have my reward? Sometimes I do that for fun, uh, just to uh, reference this, this particular passage and help us to remember uh, we don't do those things to get our reward here. In verse 17, here is uh, the instruction, how to practice your spiritual disciplines and get credit from God. It is not unspiritual to work for the rewards that God promises. Let's make sure we understand that first. An illustration of that uh, comes with Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of passing sin uh, for a season, considering that reproach of Christ uh, is for greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. And the Bible says, even in the Old Testament, he did that for Christ. And that's what we do it for. I want to keep that in mind. So if we were fasting, keep your appearance normal. Don't draw attention to your godly activity for men to admire. Let God admire that. And by the way, if you're praying to God, and it's really not for God, it's so that you can get in good with other people and be spiritual, I wonder what that does to God's heart. And he looks down from heaven, and you're praying to him, and he says, you know, this isn't for me at all. Not a word you've said made it past the ceiling because you didn't pray that way. You're not talking to me. It's for people. In verse 18, you know, we're not interested in men noticing our good works. We're interested in God doing that. And that's what Jesus teaches us to do. If I do my fasting in secret, in other words, I don't make a show of it, God sees secret things and will reward those things that are done in secret because they were done with the right motive. God doesn't forget a single thing that you did in his name. They will all be rewarded. Sometimes it's not possible to do a work for God in secret if it's a congregational issue and you're with the people of God and it's a spiritual activity like praying. In those times, what counts is the motivation of the person doing the activity. And you don't have to be one of those that are leading in prayer. You can be a hypocrite sitting in the pew. You can put on a show for everybody else. Bow your head quicker. Have your head come up later. Let everybody see what a great warrior you are in prayer. 
it's so easy for this stuff to go so bad uh, in our in our lives because we know that we still have the sin nature in us. What counts though is your motive. Is it really for God? Then it counts. Did you do it for other people? No. Then God sees that. It counts. Did you do it for God? Yes. That counts. And we're working to keep our personal involvement uh, as, if you will, in, in the words of this particular passage, as unseen as possible. Your spiritual activities will never go unnoticed or unrewarded by Jesus. Dr. Blomberg said, God judges the greatness of his servants by searching their hearts, examining their inner attitudes, <clears throat> and seeing deeds that were done in secret. In other words, they weren't out for show. In verses 19 through 21, if heaven is your treasure storage, where you keep your, your treasure, then heaven will be where your heart is. If you, put your, if you put all your treasure in things of this earth, then we know where your heart is. But if it's things for heaven, we know where your heart is there as well. In verse 19, in terms of foregoing, uh, the foregoing discussion, earth is a poor place to store your treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. Why would you store stuff here? It doesn't last. It's temporary. It's not worth anything. Or why do you want the rewards of men that are earthly decaying and rotting away? They're all corrosive. The issue is, as someone put it, where is your treasure box kept? Where do you keep your treasure box? Are you filling the one here on earth or the one in heaven? On this earth, things decay. They get rotten. They break. They rust. They fall apart. They can be lost or lose value. And we hang on anyway. Um, I'm not saying anything bad about uh, the nature of the brand on this vehicle. It just happens to be what my dad had. He had an old Ford pickup. He loved it to death. But his health got to where he couldn't, park, he, he couldn't uh, farm anymore. So he had a shed on this farm that he bought, and he parked it in there. It wasn't an airtight shed. It wasn't a great shed. It was an old shed. And he wanted to protect it, so he put a, a big tarp over it. And a few years later, I asked my brother and I to get it out and see if we could make it run. And I remember we pulled the tarp off of this. The dust was this deep on it. It was just a filthy mess. And uh, he opened the door on the one side, and I opened the door on the passenger side, and the mice were just bailing out of there as fast as they could go. And the seats had been eaten. They'd been up in the, uh, in the heater. They'd built nests up in there. I didn't even want to touch the thing. But it was so important to him. It's not really that important. It's just a piece of metal. You can get a different one. You can get one that, that would uh, be ready to go. You don't tie your heart up in the things of this world that are not going to last. No matter the worth of an earthly prize, it's worthless in heaven if it wasn't for God. And Noel and I watch a show on Tuesday night, Oak Island, something about the curse of Oak Island. These guys have been on this Oak Island. They've been going nine years now trying to find a treasure. Now, the Internet has kind of uh, let it go that they did find the treasure. But we haven't seen it yet in maybe two years because they're milking this for all it's worth. And so we're watching this thing. And I've tried to figure out more on the treasure, but it looks like they found it, but they're not saying anything about it. So you'll watch the program. And I'm thinking about the millions of dollars these guys have poured into that. They've given up years and years of their life and it looks like they've got some gold coins and whatever else they find. Uh, they said they might find the Ark of the Covenant. That'd be worth looking for. Uh, they think that maybe uh, the Knights Templar hid it over there. You know, I don't think so. 
but they've been looking for all this. They've spent all their life doing that. I don't know that it'd be valuable enough to stand before God in heaven at my judgment and say, I discovered the curse of Oak Island's treasure. And God says, did you enjoy that before you died? Because it means nothing here. <laughs> well, I don't know that they're believers. I don't know that they're not. It seems like a lot of work for nothing. In verse 20, Jesus' advice is to store up your treasures in heaven. And when it comes to reward, that's a secure place, heaven is. Jesus said, I'm taking care of it. I'm watching over it. Nothing will happen to it. I'm giving it to you, and you'll have it for the rest of eternity, whatever form that is. And in Revelation 22:12, it says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. We will face a judgment for what we have done, how we've acted with Christ. Have we made important or not important? How we did the spiritual disciplines. We will be judged. And Jesus says, I'm bringing my reward with me. And the idea is you should want some of that. You should be working for some of that, and so should I. There is no possible destruction or reduction in value for what we have done in his name with the right motive. No one can steal your heavenly reward if Jesus is watching over it, and he is. In verse 21, now we see the connection and why Jesus wants us to store up treasure in heaven. What that means when we get to chapter 23 is that there's a lot of Pharisees that were very disappointed when they got to heaven and found out either I didn't belong to Jesus at all, most of them didn't, or even though I did, I don't have much of a pile of reward here, whatever that is. Where I store up my treasure, Jesus said, that's where your heart is. You can talk a good show in church, you can talk a good show around Christians, but where your treasure is, what you really treasure, Jesus said, that is where your heart is. And shame on us, basically, is what he's saying, if we want to put our heart on something temporary, something that won't last, something that is going to be gone when he burns up this world. Why would we do that? If I store up treasure in heaven... It means that I'm working for the kingdom that's going to last forever by faith that I believe is more important than anything this earth has to offer. If I store up my treasure here, what does that say about the condition of my heart? It says it's not where it's supposed to be. We all have to make a choice. Where, where do we want our heart to be? Where's it going to be? What do I want to serve? Is your heart or my heart about this world? Or is it about the kingdom to come? Where do you think Jesus is saying it should be? You know. Do you have the spiritual foresight? See, that's what it takes to stop looking at the here and the now and what I have in this world and start realizing there's something way better in the next world for me as a believer. Am I working for that? So do I have the spiritual foresight to see the value of the kingdom over the value of the current world and its godless system and beliefs and what it hangs on to? You want to know what that looks like? Then study a person that is your friend who doesn't know Jesus and see where they're putting all their marbles, where they're putting all the eggs in that one basket. You know, I have heard since I was a little boy my grandpa used to say this every time we went to a funeral. 
You've never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse, <laughs> and I haven't. People like to say you can't take it with you. Certainly, uh, this is true of the world's goods, but I say you can take it with you if you send the right things ahead. The way you work, the way you do your things for Jesus, your heart attitude in that, uh, it's already there. And it's going to be there when you get there. And if you want to take something from this world besides your soul, take that with you. The nice thing is you don't have to rent a U-Haul. You don't have to load it. You don't have to haul it somewhere. Jesus took care of all that. He's got it waiting for you and whatever else you accumulate from now on. Isn't that what Jesus is trying to get us to realize? Yes. The fun part is, is that we don't know what we have until we get there. Surprise! <laughs> you know? And you may say, wow, that's way better than anything I had on earth. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we call spiritual treasure. And it consists of everything that we did, that we sent it ahead of us from the grave, before the grave. Like souls, we reached for Christ. The greatest of all rewards, like entering into the place Jesus prepared for us, like crowns that we can earn, like the possession of his government that we can have, and a bunch of rewards that I have no idea what they are. He doesn't tell us. Or like the fact that we get to finally experience the place our hearts have wanted to dwell in person the whole time we were here. I'll share with you some things to think about. By way of application, number one, Secret spiritual practices. In other words, those that are not done for show, those that are done with the right motive, those will be kept for us in heaven and then rewarded to us. I'm pretty sure that Nicodemus, when he got to heaven, because he was a secret believer, got a reward just for caring about the dead body of Jesus. Secondly, store up, <clears throat> store up your heavenly reward and stop worrying about earthly rewards that don't last. Thirdly, let's make sure that our life reveals that heaven is the true home for our hearts. Heaven is the true home for our hearts. If our hearts had feet, they don't, but if our hearts had feet, God would expect that you and I don't have one on earth and the other in heaven. Make your stand in heaven. I think that's what Jesus is wanting us to realize and wanting us to say today, that it is foolishness to have our heart in this world. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, none of us have seen the gates of heaven. None of us have dwelled there. You're asking us to believe these things by faith. You've told us how great they are and that they are worth working for over and above this world. You know our problem. We have lived in the richest nation that the planet has ever known. 
where its people enjoy wealth and spendable income every day. And we have lots of stuff. And we know how easy it is to let our hearts get tied up in those things. And then we know because we're all sinners, sometimes we don't do our spiritual work the way that we should. I pray that you would help us to desire to understand with our hearts and to live with our lives the reality that there is nothing on this earth that is worth not serving you and not serving you the right way. We are your servants. Help each of us to make decisions wherever we need to that we're going to live for you in this place. And whatever you've given us, we will use it for you and not hang on to it, knowing that it is headed for the trash heap. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.